I would encourage you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 19. As we complete this story of Lot and his family, coming to the end of the chapter, chapter 19. I'll begin reading in verse 30. And Lot went up from Zor and stayed in the mountains, and he and his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zor, and he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him, that we may preserve our seed through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and behold, and the firstborn went in and laid with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Now it happened on the following day that the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I laid last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lay with him, that we may preserve our seed through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger rose and laid with him. And he did not know when she laid down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot conceived by their father. And the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, I, I just pray for clarity, pray for understanding that we can apply where we need to apply these things to our life. I pray that principles would be laid out here for us to, to grasp that we may glorify and honor you with our lives and be live more holy lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is a tragic ending to an already tragic story. And we've seen this coming. Uh, anyone could see this coming. This is bad decision after bad decision. And it started back in Genesis chapter 13 when... It says that Lot lifted up his eyes and he looked onto the Jordan Valley and, and he could see how lush and beautiful it was and he chose and he pursued that. And even at the end of that valley, he knew that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were there. And that's the key. Because in verse 13, it says that the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinning or sinners against the Lord. And Lot continued to pursue. He goes that direction. He pitched his tent. And then next we find him living in Sodom. And then we find him serving as a judge in Sodom. He continued to pursue that. Even knowing that this is a wicked city. And the, and the decision that he made. That, that decision to pursue. Was horrific, has horrific consequences. And Lot is... Lot was in a position of, of blessing. He had great wealth. He was with his 
Uncle Abraham, more like a father figure probably than an uncle figure. And Lot himself is considered a righteous man. But yet this one decision was a huge loss for him. It reduced him to, to living in caves. He lost it all, essentially. He lost his wealth. At one point, he lost his independence. He was kidnapped and his uncle Abraham had to come and saved him, save him. He lost all of his possessions, his home, his city, his position as judge. Any children that he may have had in Sodom are gone. His future sons-in-law, the ones that were to marry his daughters, they're gone. And he's lost his wife as well. And it all comes down to one principle. One one way to just summarize all of this, this series of bad decisions, the direction that he went, comes down to one principle. And that principle is really taught throughout the whole of Scripture. It's built into uh, God's creation as well, built into God's universe. And we see it within nature. In fact, we live it out every day and kind of take it for granted. And the principle is this, is that you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. In fact, that verse was read for us earlier. Let me read that again. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he this he will also reap. And I'll read the next verse too. We'll come back to these two verses. It's important. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, we see this this principle. This principle is a, a simple one. Again, we see it Within nature, if you have, if a farmer goes out, this is the time of the year that farmers would go out and plant, and he plants a certain seed. If he plants corn seeds, he's going to get corn, cucumbers, tomatoes, or whatever. Um, those are the things that he's going to get to grow. It's a very simple process, a simple thing. Whatever you sow is going to come up, and you're going to reap that. Now, Christ used this principle really throughout his teachings, Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 12, John chapter 4. Paul used this principle to explain the spiritual uh, condition of man many times, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We also see it in the natural world. Uh, Even the unbeliever knows this. This is a common sense kind of principle. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he summed it up like this, and this is a... This is a good way to put it. He says this, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. And what he did is to connect the the decisions that we make, the, the thinking that we have today and make decisions on, it is directly tied to our destiny. Now think about that. The little decisions that we make today is tied to ultimately our our destiny. And again, the unsaved understand that principle. One little decision, one little moment, one little passion, uh, pursuit of passion. And there's going to be consequences to that. 
And we're going to eventually reap the the consequences in our own destiny and the reputation of history throughout history. And Lot, he decided that one pursuit go toward Sodom and his destiny was fixed at that point. And the question that he has to has to raise in our own mind is, can that cycle be broken? Can that cycle be broken? How can how do we break that cycle if it can? How can we break the cycle of bad decision after bad decision after bad decision? And you've seen people like this, especially people who are addicted to to drugs. They they just cannot seem to get their life together. It's always just bad decisions. Let me add one more thing, because I think there's another element to this. And that, I think, is the element of influence. We cannot rule that out. That, that's kind of almost a, a starting point. Who you want to hang out with. Now, I know that's a decision. But who you want to hang out with. Who, who you think is cool. Who you would like to be like. Solomon says, he who walks with the wise will be wise. Proverbs 13, verse 20. And Paul said, bad company corrupts good morals. And we cannot stay around corrupt people or bad people and not be affected. It's going to affect us. It's going to affect our thinking. It just will. The principles lay it out there. It's just plain, common sense. And people tell me all the time, well, Jesus, well, he hung out with sinners. Well, not the same way that they're taking it today. When Jesus hung out with sinners, they changed. They repented. They turned into righteous people. And that's not what is happening in our churches today. In fact, I'm afraid that our churches today are being influenced by the world. The world is, the church is not being, the church is not influencing the world, but the world is influencing the church. It's heavily influenced by the world. And there's going to be consequences. What we sow, we're going to reap. The people we hang out with is going to influence our thinking, our thoughts, influence our decisions that we make, and it's going to ultimately influence our destiny. The decisions that you make today is going to affect next week. It's going to affect six months from now. There's going to be consequences ten years from now. That makes, then, every decision that we make weighty. We have to put thought into. We have to think about how we spend our time, where we spend our resources, what we eat, the amount that we eat. And all of these things have consequences, but they're all being influenced by our thinking with the, really the culture around us and the world around us. And we're being influenced. And it influences us and it turns into an, an attitude. We have attitudes toward family and work and education, authority. All of those things influence us. We're being influenced by the world. The world, we make decisions based upon that. That's ultimately going to influence our destiny. Now, believers then, knowing that principle, we have to be very, very careful who we allow to influence us, right? We have to know that. In fact, the principle is this. The dominant influence of the believer's life must be God. And what God says in His Word. That has to be 
the dominant influence of, of our life. What God loves, we love. What God hates, we hate. God's value system has to influence us. That's so important. Now, that's a maturity element, but, but it's an important element to the Christian life. Now, let's go back to our passage because there's three three little elements here in this story that we can kind of break it down into three uh, sections. The first section is is just the plan. There's this enacting of a, a plan, and then we see the action, and then we see the result. Let's look at the plan first. In verse 30, it says this, And Lot went up from Zor, and he stayed in the mountains, and his two daughters with him, for he was afraid. Now, now there's a problem here. It, it, Lot's problem. The problem here is that is there's fear, and that that fear motivated him. Now, it could have been fear. Just think about this, because he escaped from Sodom. He goes into Zor, and maybe the the people who are around him in Zor are looking at him and saying he is the only one that survived Sodom and that whole devastation. He survived. There's something wrong there. There's, there's something not right there. And, and it's maybe he was afraid of the, the people. But it could have been he was afraid of because of what the angel had said. The angel said, uh, Sodom, or, uh, Lot, you need to flee to the mountains. And then Lot talked to the angel and convinced the angel to let him stay here in Zor. And so maybe he's rethinking this and saying, maybe the safest place is up in the mountains. But whatever the motivation or whatever the reasoning is, the motivation is fear. Fear is never really a good motivating factor for our life. But he didn't think this thing through. It really was just a, a reactionary thing. And it's based upon on fear. He's not thinking about his family. And fear, again, is never a good motivating factor. In fact, many people live their life on fear. You just see that. It's based upon fear. One reaction after another reaction after another reaction. It's just all based upon fear. There's no stability to their life. There's no order. There's no forethought. And that's that's the way Lot seemed to be here. Driven by by fear, and ultimately it led to isolation. That's what fear does. It paralyzes us to where we're just isolated in ourselves, within ourselves. Escapism. It leads to, to drug abuse, to alcoholism, even food addictions, and those kinds of things. But again, for the believer, there's some stability to our life because our life is fixed around the glory of God. All of the decisions that we make are not based upon fear but to the glory of God and, and faith in God. And that brings a stabilizing factor in our life. Now, let's look at the, the two daughters here. The two sisters in verse 31. They concoct a plan. Now, there's a problem right away. The problem is isolation. So they concoct this plan, verse 31. The first one said to the younger, our father is old and there is no man on the earth, and it seems to be a little bit of an exaggeration here, no man on the earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lay with him. 
that we may preserve our seed. Now there's, there's the answer to the problem. The problem is preserving the seed and we've got a solution now. We've got a, a plan. We're going to preserve our, the seed through our Father. Now they're just, they're just laying out the facts here. Isolation. No man. No children. No future. No legacy. And it looks bleak. They're between a rock and a hard place. No way to preserve their seed, their family legacy, their heritage. And again, I hope you see some exaggeration here. Because I think that's what it is. A little bit of drama. No man on the earth. They, they, they never go into town. There's some exaggeration here. And that probably is, again, maybe based upon the fear. And the cycle continues. And, it, and they use this after the manner of the, the earth, it's, it's just kind of the, the natural thing to do here. Now, this is probably some time after uh, Sodom had been destroyed. They had lived up in the mountains for probably a while because they had planted a vineyard. They had these grapes, and that takes a while to produce. And the plan then included getting their father drunk. Because he would have never conceded in his right mind to do this without being drunk. And they knew that. And so this is a what? This is a trick. This is a deception. And this is the only way they're going to solve their problem. Now, you can't be too hard on these girls. But these two girls were reaping the consequences of Lot's decision. Right? We understand that. We need to know, too, we need to consider these things. We need to, to remember that they grew up in Sodom. Now, Sodom was the worst city on the earth at this time, deserving of, of God's wrath and, and deserving to be destroyed, and that's what God did. They, of course, lived a very difficult life. At one point, they were probably carted away along with their father in this war, the other kings came and captured them, and Abraham had to rescue them. At one point, their father even offered them up to prostitution or rape by the men of Sodom to protect his own guests. So they were heavily influenced. Influenced by what they saw in Sodom and heard and thought, the thinking of Sodom, the priorities, the value systems, the whole moral foundation of Sodom, their whole moral compass was off because the culture, the environment had saturated their mind. And there's the problem. There's the problem. Now, these girls had also seen, they had some difficulties, but they had also been spared, hadn't they? They had also seen their father. They knew that their father was different from the men of, of Sodom. And they knew that two angels came down and rescued them out of Sodom and saved them. They understood the grace of God. And the, the, they saw the devastation on Sodom, how God hated the sinfulness. And they saw God's grace just laid out in front of them. And yet they decide to, to not trust God. They decide to trust in their own understanding instead of trusting in God. The God who had rescued them. Just think about that. Their thinking is like the world. Their thinking is just like Sodom. They were being influenced by Sodom, even though Sodom was destroyed. 
and, and like a, a computer program, it had already been pre-programmed in their, in their mind, these two sisters, when they were young. So their thinking is based upon the world and the consequences it is going to be of the flesh. It's going to, there's going to be consequences. It's going to create more problems. It's going to uh, be, create more sin and, and it uh, moves things from bad to worse. And the cycle continues. Bad decisions. One bad decision after another bad decision from one generation to the next generation. But the bottom line is what? They did not trust the Lord. They didn't trust. The, they, they lacked faith in God. They could have. They knew. They've seen God at work. And, and they said, Lord, they could have prayed to the Lord. Lord, provide something. But they, they didn't do that. Now, we can't help where we grow up, can we? They couldn't help growing up in Sodom. They couldn't help where we can't help where we're born. But I tell you what, here's what we need to understand. We need to understand that the culture that we grow up in influences us and it influences our thinking. And most of the time, it's usually for the bad. The culture that we grow up in, we need to understand its influence on us. Now, I grew up in, in a little town called Jenkins, Kentucky, population 2000, at its heyday, okay? It, it's a quaint little town, beautiful little town. It had a lake. It was gorgeous. Hallmark and country music would tell us that that's just perfect, perfect environment, pure, untouched by civilization, un, uncontaminated by society. But we know better than that, right? That little town was just as sinful as, as the big cities would, would be. Why? Because sin resides in, in the heart. And there's, there's an influence of that sinful little town even on me. There's a bad influence. And it's easy for us to, to think, well, we live in this quaint little place or this, this, uh, a uh, place that's distant from the big city. And so we don't have sin problems. We don't have sinful thinking. Well, that's foolish stuff. Foolish thought. And, and it's hard for us to overcome that thinking. You, you get trained in school of how to think. And when you get out, you, you think that way. If you go into the military, they train you how to think. Certain websites you go on and they'll train you how to think. Now, the question is, how do you break that kind of thinking? Uh, the, the world wants us to, to be fa- forced in their mold. Think like this. And, and that's what's happening. These two girls, they, they were thinking the same way as Sodomite would think, even though they were out of Sodom. They were not trusting the Lord. So how do we, how do we, uh, how do we break this pattern of, of thought, bad decision after bad decision, it, it comes down to the first thing is trust the Lord. We do not trust our own understanding. We have to trust the Lord. We have to stop leaning on our under, own understanding. Well, we make decisions every day. And most of the time, it's based upon pragmatics. What other people are doing around us. The, the value systems of the people around us. The, or, or pre-planned Things that have been uh, interjected in our, our, our own mind. If we're going to 
break that thinking, we have to trust the Lord. That's the first step. We have to allow the Lord to influence us. And that can only come when we trust in Him. When we put our trust in what He says. And break from the thinking of the world. That needs to be a hard break. It needs to be a hard break. So they have a plan. It's not a healthy plan. It's not a righteous plan. In fact, it, it, it uh, demonstrates no faith in God at all. It's a sinful reaction essentially to a difficult situation. Let's go to the second element. And that's the act. So they had the plan. And now they're going to act it out. Verse 33. <clears throat> go back to our, our passage. Verse 33 says, So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and laid with her father. And he did not know when she laid down or when she arose. Now it happened on the following day that the firstborn said to her, the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drunk or drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lay with him that we may preserve our seed through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also and the younger rose and laid with him and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose so they did it they they went through with the plan now i, I want you to notice something because this is kind of a side note but i want you to notice how how the scripture and this is very typical for scripture how scripture handles a very delicate situation the, the most intimate act between two people Sexual relations, we would call it today. And notice what Scripture does. It's like the, the camera pulls back and kind of just gives us some general details. Just just enough of an idea to we understand what's happening here. But not enough to, to uh, give us scintillating uh, details. So that, so that our, our minds dwell on this sinful act. There's nothing here that would cause our mind to, to be tempted and, and led away. And there's very discreet little terminology they laid with or, or they went into or go into. There's just enough to, to give us the idea. And, and that's what Scripture does. We see this uh, throughout Scripture. Sometimes Scripture will use the word know. Adam knew his wife. And the, the camera's pulling back, not showing the detail. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out is because, folks, there's a word that's just flying around today for, for the, this sex act. And it's, it's just a, a graphic word that is, it doesn't belong with the Christian vocabulary. It's a degrading word. It's a demeaning word for this particular act. It's a vulgar word. And it's not for the... It's not for the believer. It's just not appropriate for this belief, for the believer. We have a deeper appreciation for what God has created here. And I want you to see that just, just within Scripture. We have to be careful. Even the language that the world uses, folks. And you know what I'm talking about. Every adult does. But they tricked their father. They got him drunk. He would have never gone along with it if he, if they hadn't. Um, now, our world today, things are kind of turned upside down. Our world today would, would elevate these two girls. They were clever. 
They would say, oh, how creative, how smart, how innovative. They, they overcame their problem. They did it their way. But folks, there's, there's consequences. There's going to be consequences with what, what they have done here. Their, their father was not honored with this. This is, his reputation is now soiled. It's debased. So, uh, Lot has, has lost everything that he, he had. And now he's lost his reputation. He's lost his, his name has been marred. His name has been ruined. Really throughout scripture, throughout the whole of history. But more than that, God has been dishonored. Their God. They lacked faith in God. And their God has been dishonored. They took matters into their own hands. Now, let's go back to our passage in Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. Those who sow to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, Now, notice here. Corruption is going to be reaped. They sowed to the flesh. That's exactly what they did. And what are they going to reap? Corruption. That's the principle. Corruption. They couldn't hide this forever. Eventually their father is going to find out, right? You can't hide, hide that. The pregnancy for nine months. Man's way always is unhealthy, folks. There's always going to be corruption. There's always going to be guilt or a seared conscience, a broken relationship. There's going to be a hard heartedness or a bitterness or hatred or resentment. And that kind of life leads to what? Anxiety, shame, paranoia, sadness, depression. It's always going to be there. It's going to be corruption. And those are those are there because there's planted seeds of the flesh. There's going to be corruption as a result of that. It's not the kind of life for the believer. And they, they live this, they have to live this life. And in fact, they just pass that on to their children. And we'll see this eventually. The, the children that is from Lot. But the cycle continues. And how do you break this cycle? Well, the first step is to to trust God and not trust our own self. The second thing is to change our thinking, isn't it? We have to sow seeds from the Spirit. And then from the Spirit, you will reap eternal life here. Now, how do we do that? What are seeds from the, the Spirit? What does the Spirit value? Godliness. God's Word. How do we do that? Well, the best... Our most articulate place to go to is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul just lays it out for us here. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Every believer comes into the the Christian life with a mindset that needs to be renewed. that, That needs to be changed. And so, so there has to be a, a changing of mind. Now that is a process. 
That doesn't just happen automatically. It, it takes a while. As we run into situations, we have to stop and think, how does God see this? What would God say about this? What does God's word say about this particular issue? I'm not talking about just adding a verse to our life every once in a while. No, we have to understand things from God's perspective. The whole counsel of God. He says, renew our minds so that we may prove what is the will of God. That's ultimately for the believer. That's what the believer wants, to to please God. What's the will of God? It's not just give me a list of things to do, Pastor, and I'll do those. Give me a list of things to not do, and I'll do those. It's not about that. It's about pleasing the Lord. It's about doing, approving what is the will of God. That which is good, that which is pleasing, and that which is perfect. And that comes from renewing our mind. So to break from the world's thinking, we have to trust the Lord. And then we have to know what the Lord says. We have to renew our our mind. We have to know God's word. And folks, that's the only way that this cycle will be broken. Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If we don't know the Bible, folks, if we don't know God's word, we're going to invent our own way, just like these girls did. They invented their own way. How clever of them. Invented their own way. They didn't know God's way. If we don't read the Bible, we will not know what God likes, what God dislikes. We won't know God's value system. And so we will just make up our own value system. And that's what the world does. And so often the, the Christian just buys into the world's value system. It's kind of what we do. We'll, we'll invent our own way. So our minds must be renewed. So, so they had a plan. They enacted that plan. And neither one was based upon faith in God. Let's go to the results. Go back to our passage in verse 36. Here's what happened. Verse 36, thus the daughters of Lot conceived by their father. Shameful. Shameful. Unbelievable that this is being read in Scripture The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabite people. We'll talk about them at some point. The younger, she she, uh, also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. And he was the father of the sons of Ammon. And both of those those, uh, groups of people should be familiar to you, at least in the Old Testament, because they they were prominent. And that's one of the reasons Moses is laying this story out to us so that we can understand where these people come from and the characteristic of these particular people. But also, he needs the children of Israel needed to, to have some caution here because there's, these are relatives. They're, they're relatives, but they're not part of the Abrahamic covenant. Not part of that promise that God made to Abraham. So there's some caution here, and that's why... Uh, Abraham is pointing, or Moses is pointing these things out when he is writing these things. But back to our passage, what they planned, they enacted, and the result, it worked. It, it worked like a charm. It, it was a success. They overcame. The, the, the crisis averted. They had children. 
Now, now it's, it's easy for us to, sit, especially today, sit back and look and say, well, since it worked, it must have been a good idea. It must have been God's plan. After all, didn't God allow them to get pregnant? He could have withheld pregnancy from them. But just because it worked doesn't make it right. We, we live in a day, folks, that morality is just completely turned upon its head. And pragmatism just reigns today. And if it works, then, well, it must be good. This is situational ethics, and, and that is never a good thing. We live in a, a day where morals are, every moral, all morals are just being challenged. Almost everything goes, uh, relativism is just run amok. And, and we have to ask the question, where does morals come from? And where do, how do we think today the way we do about morals? We have to look back at the past. Who influenced that thinking? Let me give you two. Karl Marx. 100, 200 years ago, 150, 200 years ago, Karl Marx, he came out with the, the, the idea that morals are just invented from the top down. Just uh, the, the, the oppressor, uh, the, they designed morals. The, the elite, the, he called them the bourgeoisie, the, the upper crust. And, and they, con- they invented morals to control the masses so that they would be good workers, so that they would produce, so that they would be faithful to, to do their bidding. They would be good slaves, essentially. So morals were invented by man, just uh, the, the upper crust so that, to control the masses. And then Freud comes along and says, no, morals come into being from society. Morals came into being because there's certain things that just disgust society. And, and those things we turn into, into morals. And societies kept those things because they were, they were necessary to, to produce order in the society. So it's not from, uh, so it's just those things that, that disgust society, and they just turned them into morals. So they're just made up, made up from society. Morals come from society. Uh, even those, even those things that frustrate Society, we invented them because it's best for society. So that's, that's what Freud said. But this is not just something that's disgustful. This is, this is wrong. There is an absolute here. The Bible says that morals come from God, isn't it? This is God's universe. He invented morals. He tells us what is right and wrong. Morals are outside of us. We do not invent them. They are from God. There's objective morals. God has established them. And we can read about them. Look at Leviticus chapter 20. You can read all about this. And, you know, we we can't be too hard uh, here on these two girls because they didn't have the revelation that we have today. They, They maybe not have known they should have put faith in God. They should have called out to God and recognized their problem and God would have helped them. But for us believers, folks, this is, there's a warning here. There's a sign. This is a, a warning sign. In fact, believers in, a, in this world, we're living out morals, aren't we? We are to be a, a light to the nations. We're to be a, a light to the world. That morals are outside of ourselves. 
And there, there needs to be a healthy fear of, of God. Because at some point, folks, we're going to stand before God and give an account. So, so that leads to our, our third thing. How do you break the cycle? Number one, you stop trusting in yourself, trust in the Lord. You change your mind, Romans chapter 12, change your thinking. And then number three, we fear the Lord. There has to be a fear of the Lord. Someday, folks, we will stand before Him. And like Galatians, Paul says that God will not be mocked. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Some folk, someday, folks, we will stand before the Lord and give an account not based on morals that we invented, but based upon morals that he says is right and wrong. And we will give an account for that. So, so we saw, see the plan, we see the action here, we see the results. And we know in our own heart that, that we are very easily captured by the influence of the world. And we can very easily fall into the thinking of the world. And we, we know that we have to change our thinking. We have to break out of that. And the only way to do that is trust God. Trust His principles. Renew our mind with His thinking. And then fear Him. Know that someday we will stand before Him. And the ultimate principle is that the dominating influence of the life of the believer must be God. He must influence our lives. And how do we keep that, how do we keep that going? Just constantly renewing our mind, constantly allowing His value system to influence us. Now, folks, we're gonna be influenced, or we're gonna influence. We're gonna be influenced by the world, or we're gonna stand, and we're gonna influence the world. And my fear is that we're gonna be influenced. How much influence does a baby have? Mm, Not much. How much influence does a child have? Not much. But as that little baby grows stronger and stronger and and is able to do things, that baby is going to have an influence. Folks, the same way within the Christian life. The stronger we become, the the more we understand the will of God and how to please Him, we're going to stand out from the world And we're going to be able to influence the world. But whichever, whether we're influencing or whether we're being influenced, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be consequences for our actions. And those things need to be taken seriously. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a sobering, a sobering story. To know that people can fall to this level and be influenced at this, at this level. And Lord, we look at our own heart and we know we're prone to wander. Lord, you have done a work. If we're believers, you have done a work in our life. You have changed our value system. Now, Lord, help us to pursue that. But Lord, I pray that we would be cautious about the decisions that we make every day. Knowing that there's going to be consequences. But Lord, if there's someone here today that has not placed their faith and trust in you. 
They have not been changed from the inside. They have not come to repentance and faith in you. I pray that you would work in their life. And Lord, we thank you as believers. We thank you for that changing element, that being born again element in, in the life of every believer. We thank you that we are different from the world. May we stand out. And may we grow stronger and stronger and and be a a light, be a warning light to this world. And Lord, may we not think like the world. May we not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and how it has the power to change our life. We thank you for the Holy Spirit's work. We could never do this on our own. We thank you, Lord. You are so kind to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.